are listening to True Story, a night of true tales told to friends. This story was recorded at a True Story party in January of 2012 at an undisclosed location in the San Francisco Bay Area. The theme for the night was the end of the beginning. What I really like about this theme, ends and beginnings, is that it dispenses with the journey. And I've, I've held this often unpopular belief, just basically fuck the journey like the thing. My, my two favorite emotions are the hope that comes with the beginning and the certainty that comes with the end. And there's, there's something, though, that I've always wondered about this, which is that given, given a beginning, is there a way to get different ends, right? And this, of course, took me... I think years, years and years, but I realized that this is the wrong way to ask this question because we have no idea. There's no way, no one's ever seen something that almost happened. We've only seen things that happened, right? And so there's no actual way to answer that question. So I think, I think another interesting version of it is, okay, well, given an end, how much did the beginning matter? And so I think, I have, I have a title for this talk, and, and the title is, the brief and real existence of unicorns and its relation to blind and its relation to blindness and and i think both of these stories in some ways actually can can help answer these these questions um, so it starts 14th century marco polo marco polo was a merchant uh, he was 17 years old and he was illiterate and this wasn't kind of an intellectual fault of his own just at that time Books were in the hands of the church. Most people, especially of the merchant class like he was, just didn't know how to read. Um, his, his father was a merchant and his uncle was a merchant, and they were very, very good at it. So he actually got to often have dinner in the high court of, of the church, and he would hear stories. And the stories that he was told were stories of China, and they were stories of a unicorn, and the existence of a unicorn, right? And... First and foremost, he's a merchant, and he recognizes that, that by virtue of this being rare and exotic, it could be very valuable. And his, his, his father and his uncle, they, they made their wealth doing gems and silks and wine and all these things, and he wanted to kind of branch out. And so he wanted to find the unicorn, bring it back to Europe, and make, make his name. And so he goes off to China in search of a unicorn. So the other side of the story, a couple hundred years later, we'll, we'll go back, but a couple hundred years later, there's an Irish philosopher, William Molyneux, and he comes up with the following thought experiment, which is, and so this is a gimmick, sorry, but, okay. Um, so you need to imagine, this is his thought experiment, imagine that you're blind from birth. And you go through life and you're trained at some point in being able to, with your hands, distinguish between a cube and a sphere. So maybe a small uh, die, a small dice, right, or a wooden, wooden cube and a small marble. And you can, you can feel these, you can interact with them, you can play with them, roll them around. And if somehow, this of course was not possible in the 1600s, but if somehow you could then have your vision surgically restored, mm. uh, uh, and someone presented to you, and someone were to then present to you the cube and the sphere, would you be able to tell which was which? Would you know, right? You, you, you know that a cube uh, is sharp. You know that a cube has flat edges. You know that a cube 
doesn't roll very well, you know that you can stack multiple cubes on top of each other. Uh, the, the sphere, you know, does, is not sharp at all, is smooth, rolls well, cannot be stacked atop another sphere. But once you see it for the first time, do you know which is which? Does your tactile understanding translate into the, the visual? So go back to Marco Polo. Marco Polo is in China. He actually ends up traveling with his uh, uncle and father. They they get nice passage because the uncle and father happen to be friends with Kublai Khan. And so they, they like <laughs> a couple of years into this, though, this is a 25-year journey ultimately, but a couple of years into it, Marco Polo is standing in front of a rhinoceros. And up until this point, he had heard stories, right, about what it was that made the unicorn so special. It was a white, kind of pristine, thin horse with a horn protruding out the front of its head. And now here he is, standing in front of a rhinoceros, which has elephant-like feet, the, the face of uh, a boar, right, a wild boar, um, gray skin, but a horn protruding out the front of its face. And so the question is, at this moment, what does Marco Polo see? And similarly, kind of at the moment when you have first regained your sight, what do you see? How much has your past influenced that moment? And so we know what Marco Polo saw. Uh, he saw a unicorn. So he writes in his journal, and he writes that I have found the unicorn. It has the face of a boar, the feet of an elephant, the skin of a, I don't know what, uh, elephant, I guess. Um, <laughs> it is not, and this is the, this I think is really the moment in the entire of all of human history where there was a brief existence of unicorns, which is that he writes, the unicorn is not as we have previously described it, but it's still a unicorn. So now go back to these, these, these patients, right? Okay, so, so the, for a couple hundred years, you couldn't test Molyneux's question. We didn't have a way of surgically restoring blindness. So philosophers, Kant, Hume, everyone decided they would, they would kind of put in their efforts and, and try to decide this question, but of course no one knew. Last year, for the first time uh, in India, people were able to answer this question. They took kids, normally in the Western world, if you have a cataract that covers your eye, it gets fixed immediately, right? The doctors detect it and you're done and you can see. India, these kids are born with cataracts covering their eyes and they never get it surgically repaired. So they're the perfect candidates to, I mean candidates, it sounds terrible, but that, I mean, they are teenagers now, they've lived for 15 years, they haven't seen a single thing, but you can easily repair their vision and restore their sight. So they do this for the first time last year, and they surgically restore them, and they unwrap the bandages. And unfortunately, instead of having like their like the smile of their mother and father for the first time, they have a strange white man in a coat holding a sphere and a cube in front of them, <laughs> and saying, you know, which is which. And so there's, and so now we know the answer, and the answer is that you cannot. They have absolutely no idea which is the cube and which is the sphere. Um, it takes them a couple months, so eventually a couple months later, they can do it after having interacted with them for, for quite a while. But so now in some ways we know, right? We know Marco Polo saw the unicorn. He took the salient features that he had predicted that would exist in, in, in this horse-like creature, mainly the horn, and he wrote back to the king, authority figure, and said, yes, this unicorn exists and it's real and I'm going to bring it back. We know these, these, if you're blind from birth, 
these qualities, these same qualities, the qualities of pointed edges and spherical and soft and round, these qualities do not translate over. And so to me, I think this is comforting in a way because I think it means that, that there, are, there are strong impulses that we have to take <clears throat> our past and make it inescapable. So, so Marco Polo, right, was able to see, um, saw the unicorn. He was almost forced to see the unicorn because he was looking for one. And there's a way in which I think we do this often with if you take on a new lover or move into a new city, you take the qualities of the previous one and you try to compare them and you try to, and you know, there's a way that the end really does only matter in, in the context of the beginning. But I think, I think the, the Molly knows question, the negative answer to the Molly knows question is actually really uh, comforting because to me it means that while there's strong reasons to, to we have strong mechanisms that make our past matter um, strong enough to make something imagined real, but it doesn't have to, right? So, so the, the qualities of the, the cube and the sphere, they didn't translate over. So I think you can, if you need to, you can, you can start over and you don't have to be leashed to your past. And so that's my conclusion. Thank you. You've been listening to True Story. To hear more, look us up in iTunes podcasts. To comment on this or any of our stories, visit us at truestorytime.org.